Get you in the mood. Is it going? Get a little bit of a pop out. Yeah, that always gets me in the mood. <laughs> Why can't I hear it? We're on. We're live. Can't hear we're, we're live. live we? I missed, I yes. missed the intro. Did you miss the intro? You need to do the three, two, one, go. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's let's kick into gear, guys. Good evening, everyone. My name's Crafty. So Jesse's sitting there going, I'm not worried about this lot. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Crafty from Craftworks Distillery um, out at uh, Capity under lockdown. And this is Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the ship. So uh, I'll introduce the team and then we'll introduce our guest tonight that we're going to be shooting the ship with. So above me in a little box is Todd, a.k.a. The Todd, my right-hand man, my creator. How are you, Todd? What are you up to, hey. mate? Sitting here out the back of the house in the cold. Looking forward <laughs> to a good chat tonight. Yeah, and what what's, what are you drinking right now? What am I drinking? I either going to be drinking Kadrona. Kadrona. Our guest from Zelandia Baru. Or Thompson. Oof, we're going we're going New That's Zealand. That's the only tonight. two New Zealand whiskies I've got. That's me for the night. We're going New Zealand tonight. All right. Okay, we'll move on to Luke. Luke. Hello. Uh, distiller, distiller beeb, brewer, and whiskey aficionado, and IT specialist that holds this machine that is Aussie Craft Distiller shoot shit together by a thread. Very, <laughs> you, very fine thread. I'm I'm great yeah. surviving the uh, the Sydney lockdown. I mean, we Sydney didn't have it, we don't have it as bad as Victoria. But, I mean, still, we've got gold standard lockdown. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and we've got another, another week, maybe another more. Another week go. of it. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What are you drinking? I am drinking something a little different from our good friends at uh, Karu. Can you see the brand behind there? Morita. Uh, the Chipotle Vodka. Chipotle Vodka. It Very is... Nice. It's really good. I'm just having it neat um, because I don't have any Bloody Mary mix, um, but it is damn good. Very so nice. I'm really enjoying it. And then I'm probably going to move on to um, – I just received this one today. Oh, yeah. That was one of those looks I forgot to – It just – it turned up. I'm like, all right, I'll have that. As you do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. So let us, anyway. let us introduce our guest for the tonight. So, Jesse Jesse Wilson from Chase the Craft Stillet. Jesse, how are you, mate? Bloody awesome, man. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, uh, excellent. And shamefully, you're not drinking, a, shamefully you're not drinking tea. I'm trying to stay away. Tea. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Lock> tea. <laughs> Tea's good. Been a long week. Nothing wrong with tea. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of craft in tea, as you would appreciate. Not this tea, mate. This is full-on gumboot tea. Hams. <laughs> <laughs> this will power you through the night. Let's yeah, um, 
let's start at the beginning, Jesse, because um, there may be some people on who are not aware of uh, Chasing the Craft and, and Still It. Um, personally, I am. I've, I've watched you. I've watched some of your crazy videos, things that you've distilled. Uh, and as a distiller, I, I found it really informative. So um, tell, us, tell us a bit about yourself and, and tell us where you started and how you started and why you started it. Yeah, sure, man. Um, I was a photographer before I got into all of this, and the seeds were homebrewing. So I was making beer at home out of the shed just as a hobby. Uh, and basically the, the commercial gig turned to shit, and I was struggling um, for a, something soul-nourishing, something to, to kind of just keep me from slowly fading out <laughs> uh, but yeah. we also bought a house and had our, had our first kid so I couldn't really just ditch the salary uh, so I needed a hobby uh, I thought about starting a YouTube channel for home brewing but that was a pretty full niche I guess there's a lot of people doing that already uh, so I decided to go home distilling instead basically the, the distilling was going to be something to, to keep the geek juices flowing. I had never done it before. It was something for me to learn and the same for YouTube as well. So learning the algorithm and learning, you know, videography on top of photography and uh, that sort of stuff. So the the whole idea was I, I started the channel before I actually distilled a drop of liquor. Um, and the I guess the whole point of the channel is, is not really for me to teach people what I know because I don't know sweet fuck all. Uh, it's more I go out and learn something and figure something out um give it a go and either it works or it doesn't and oh. way, if, it, if it works people can learn from it and if it fails miserably then we can all learn from it too <laughs> absolutely the best yeah. learning from mistakes isn't it <clears throat> oh yes yeah. we do a bit so of that ourselves don't we crafty yeah that, that, that's a that's an interesting uh, approach jesse i didn't know that so so you're basically on your your craft distilling journey and just being warts and all uh, as you go along, some things work, some things don't, and you're just telling the whole story. Pretty much, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what was the latest, latest thing I did? Um, hops gin. I've, I mean, I've made gins before, and I've distilled a, a pale ale, which was interesting but not really great. Like hops never really quite worked for me. Still spirits. Yeah. Um, but the challenge was to try and figure out how to make hops actually work in a gin. Um, and that one actually turned out really well, <laughs> which surprised the shit out of me. I thought it was going to be horrible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not like I've done years of research on how to make a hops gin before. Uh, it was just, you know, I think I, I did about maybe 14 test, test runs of different combinations of things and doing things in different ways and then sort of combined yeah. it all at the end. Um, but sometimes it doesn't go as well. You know, sometimes mm. it... I mean, it's kind of one of those things, man. Like, it's never really a failure because you can always just turn it into vodka or, you know. Or at least or cleaning it. fluid or something. Exactly, man. Yeah, yeah. Lighter fluid, yeah, yeah. And you one, that, one that you did, which um, I was very intrigued about, um, and I stumbled upon it. I knew about you, but I didn't realize you did this one, was um, distilling mead. And that is yep. something that I have a real – uh, passion for and actually about to embark on it with a, a craft nice. meadster. And we're going to explore different honeys. Uh, we're going to barrel it. We're going to play around. But you're one of the very few people on the internet 
that actually had did it and explained it uh, and described it because I had no idea what it tastes like. So cast your mind back to that one. What what were your learnings from that one? Uh, that's not actually hard because one of the uh, – actually, the last video I – was it just put out? No, it's going coming out this, this Friday – uh, is we taste retasting that spirit after um, uh, two months on the oak, and wow. the the thing that blew me away from it from the the moment it came off the still was I've never distilled anything that tasted so much like the essence of the original product. That's what I want to hear. Oh yes, I, it blew me away, man. Like I really thought that it was going to come out basically taste like a slightly an oddly sweet sugar shine that that's kind yeah. of what i assumed. um and i tasted a couple that people had sent me that gave me hope one had a really cool like beeswax sort of thing going on um a really fresh vibrant waxy character to it uh, but the one that i did was local new zealand i think it was kind of wild honey but it probably had a fairly high proportion of manuka in it um, so it's got this amazing kind of almost like effervescent, uplifting, hmm. floral and herby kind of like fresh field thing sitting over the top of this honey sweetness that almost pushes down to caramel and coffee and like real dark grungy stuff as well. So oh, wow. both of those things together is, is really fun. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand honey at all, but talking to people that do understand honey, the crazy exciting thing is just the, the this giant gamut of flavors that you can get from honey mm. so it, mm. it kind of feels like there, there is no limit to it i mean the, the limit to it is the cost right it is very very expensive yeah, yeah, yeah. honey but yeah, I, think that's, flavor, I think that's an issue it's it's the cost that makes it prohibitive um yeah and i'm quite fortunate because i've hooked up with a you know a, a craft meester and he just wants to deep dive and explore this and I want to deep dive and explore it. And Todd does as well. Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to do it. And when I saw your video and I saw how you lit up about the flavors, because I was thinking potentially it's just going to be stripped. It's just going to be like a vodka, but your face lit up and told the story that, you know, there's something there. There's some magic there. So uh, yeah, it's cool, mate. Mm. It's it's so intense that it got me thinking of using it. Um, and, and spoiler alert, this is kind of the conclusion of the video that's coming out this week. <laughs> uh, Look away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got me thinking of using it not like an ingredient, but almost more like a finishing cask in a whiskey. So it almost makes me wonder if you could make mm -hmm. something like 75 to 95% whatever, and then chuck in 10 you know 15 to 5 percent honey and have it as a like almost like a seasoning as a as a finishing flavor that sits over the top of it yeah. um in the same way that that sherry or oloroso or a wine barrel works for for single malt yeah and then if you think of it that way then the cost is is you know it, it's mm. not such a big thing but i don't know i yeah. haven't played it yet. i'd like to we, we so had a, uh, a interesting project. We got our hands on a PX cask um, that it had mm. um, honey in for a yep. period of time. Mm. And uh, it's still maturing away, but 
It must be within days of becoming whiskey, that cask. Oh, yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. It's either this month or next month. Yeah, that's dead right. But I don't know if it's a mindfuck or what, but you taste it, it's got a waxy note to it. It's just, and you go, no, that's just because you you think bees, but uh, it does. It's it's got an interesting um, flavor profile. So, uh, Mm. yeah, Mm. I I think honey's quite a unique, unique thing. It, uh... And thinking about how you would use the honey as a finisher, so are you thinking of using it as um, sort of blending a honey distillate um, separately and then blending it in, or using it as part of, within your uh, your wash, or wh- what what part of the process are you thinking of of pulling it into? Uh, for me, the the way that I run, I I would because I don't have to worry about things being productive and cost effective and yep. you know, like, like the, the spirits are not the product for me. The product is the, the video. Mm. So making a spirit is an expense and then I make my money on the media that's created. So for me, like I'd probably just, the, the thing I'm excited about is taking this <laughs> and banging it in with a whole bunch of peat. So having this big grungy peat bomb that has, peat in the middle and then honey sweetness supporting it from underneath and then hopefully this kind of like that that effervescent thing floating over the top of it um that's kind of what i'm imagining but if i was running a distillery <laughs> and i did i wasn't worried about you know what i could put on a label and call it and marketing and all that sort of stuff it'd be pretty interesting to throw just a couple of barrels of honey down by itself and then use that to blend back as well yeah. i don't know i i yeah, like I said, I haven't experimented with it yet. It's just something that's popped up that's kind of got me excited. Um, and, yeah, I really don't know which way I'd take it. But, I mean, what the hell would you – what would you call it if it was a, a honey and malt product? I mean – There is a name for it. I'll tell you what it's called. Bear with me. Look away. I mean, it's a distilled <laughs> braggot, right? Like a, like yeah, the, it's the a wine, yeah, yeah. wine's called braggot. You mm, sure as yeah. call it whiskey, Probably. so – yeah. Well, if you yeah. if you it's leave it different. for two years in the barrel, do you still get to call it whiskey? I don't think so. If you're putting honey in it in the wash, mm. depends by which, I mean, you which rules you play by. You know, yeah, you play by the traditional Scottish rules, perhaps not. Um, um, it actually leads to my my next question. Um, so, the Australian distillation scene is is pretty vibrant right now. There's something like uh, over 300 distilleries in Australia. Um, it's not that long ago there was only 60 <coughs> distilleries. Uh, a lot are doing gin. Uh, I think there's about 80 from memory are doing whiskey. And, you know, the growth is just is exponential. Um, what's the scene in NZ? I know of um, Cadona, uh, Cadrona. I know of Thompson's. I know of... Um, uh, the New Zealand Whiskey Company and what they're doing, and Reefton, because uh, I got I had family in Reefton, so I got a real soft spot for Reefton. So, what is what's your take on the New Zealand distillation scene? What, what's what's the challenges and what's what's actually happening over there? Uh, I think it's I think it's pretty similar to Australia. There's there's been an explosion in distillery numbers. Um, what what you're seeing now in terms of product on the shelf is a lot of craft gin yeah um, 
there's kind of the, the Fonterra spirit thing in New Zealand, which is a little bit of an interesting one. We can talk about that if you want to. Um, Fonterra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, As a dairy, Fonterra. Correct, yeah. So there's um, Fonterra make a, a whole buttload of basically neutral spirit as a byproduct um, mm. of the, the dairy stuff. Right. Uh, so there's quite a, few, quite a few craft gins on the on the market that basically buy in, you know, Fonterra spirit as pretty much pure ethanol and then bangs and botanicals. A, it's gin. still a fairly common process here as well um, mm. to buy in the neutral and then it's your, <coughs> the point of difference is your botanicals and your brand. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, my position on anything like this is I couldn't care less, man. All power to you. Uh, and this extends to like sourcing whiskey, blending whiskey. I, I, I'm all for all of it as long as it's transparent and as long as. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like emittance. Okay, cool, sure. Like if you if it's not a legal requirement to say that it's made from, and there's different kinds of spirit too. You know, like you could argue that a, a neutral grain spirit is different to a whey spirit or whatever. Um, but at the very like. The bare minimum is don't like going telling go telling a a florally marketing story that makes your spirit sound like something it's not. Like mm. as long as you're not doing that, I'm 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 cool. Um, but anyway, yeah. sorry to get the, the actual question you had was uh, there's a lot of a lot of distilleries have got products sitting in barrels, and I think probably even more than I know of um, that we're going to start see coming out. But as you know, it's just it's such a long road. To, to, to having a, a whiskey product on the shelf um, in terms of what's holding it back. It, it is kind of disappointing to me. The fact that New Zealand is the one place in the world where it's just completely sweet to distill at home. It's completely legal. Yeah. Uh, that in and of itself to me makes it feel like it should be like uh basically to spirits like California was to beer when homebrewing was legalized in California and just craft spirits took off. And now it's basically the craft beer capital of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, I would love for that to happen in New Zealand. I think probably the two things that are a big problem are, I mean, the, the, the tax issue and you guys have got pretty similar over there. There's no, as far as I can tell, there's no real breaks for the small guy. Um, it's much, much worse compared to especially wine you know the the, the yeah. in terms of tax per unit of pure alcohol um and also just economy of scale man it, it's hard to get big equipment down here because it's a long ass way from anywhere um you can go the stuff from you know you can get stuff from china if you want but that, that's a whole other discussion um but then at the end of the day you get all the stuff in and you you go huge and we've got a market of four million people as a launch platform exactly yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, like if, if you want to really target economy of scale, then basically you've almost got to ignore the New Zealand market and aim for, yeah. So I don't know, just all of those things together, I think make it make it kind of tricky. Um, how does that line up with what you feel is happening in Australia? Yeah, it, it's, to me, New Zealand sounds a lot like what Tasmania is. Um, right. it, it's absolutely exploding. Um and it's got that, um, and I remember talking to Greg Ramsey from New Zealand Whiskey Company a few years ago about this. He said, um, to sell 
product from New Zealand Whiskey Company, because it had the name New Zealand in, straight away it had this 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 level of prestige because of, of security and pristine land and and clean water and, and good barley and all that. And that's what Tasmania's got. Um mm. And what, what we got in Australia is it, it's quite funny because there's a, there's a little bit of friendly argy-bargy between Tasmania and, and uh, the mainland because uh, the spiritual home in Australia is Tasmania, no question about it. Any Australian distiller will, will accept that. But um, the mainland is making some kick-ass um, whiskies and, and spirits and winning winning you know, world awards. Um, a good example is good friends of ours, Karoo Distillery, who we chatted to last week, they just took out at the International uh, whisk, uh, Wine and Spirits Competition the best contemporary gin in the world, uh, which, which was very, very impressive considering it's a husband and wife team that work out of about a 50-square-metre shed uh, at the back of a house. Um, That's beautiful. Which was, yeah, which was pretty cool. It's a, it's a cool story. Um, so I'm getting off the point a bit, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is um, – yeah, it, it's there's a lot of growth in Australia, huge amount of growth. The mainland has come into its own over the years, uh, but there is very much this Tasmanian thing, uh, you know, Tasmanian whiskey, then Australian whiskey. So a lot of mainlanders are trying to break through that and say, well, hey, Australian whiskey is Australian whiskey. Yeah, yeah. I think- it's interesting to us talking to all the Australian uh, distillers as well because it's not legal to home distill here everyone has had to go out and learn doing courses and make the pilgrimage uh down to tasmania to uh learn the craft firsthand from established distilleries down there whereas you don't have that you can do it at home completely legally and if you enjoy it enough and if you can make a go of it and the economics work well you can just take it large scale that's quite cool so are there do you see small little craft things like uh, not even not even commercially but uh neighborhood neighborhood it's not being sold it's being shared or uh, do you see weird and interesting things coming out of uh street scene yeah yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, man. Because uh, I'm not a lawyer. Don't quote me on this. <laughs> Disclaimer done. <laughs> Moving on. Um, as I understand it, the rules are basically exactly the same for spirits as they are for beer and wine and mead and everything else in New Zealand. In New Zealand, uh, as it is in, from what I understand, in Australia, it's totally normal to. Brew beer at your house, take it over to your mate's place, share it around um, yeah. to set up a homebrew competition where 30 or 40 guys will turn up uh, and all bring, you know, maybe maybe two, three litres of their beer um, to submit it to the judges or they all collectively judge together. Uh, you can kind of create like a community around homebrewing beer. Yeah. And technically, that's illegal, technically. But no one seems to really care because... Beer's cool, uh, but spirits, I don't know if you know, lads, but spirits are evil. Very, very mm. evil. <laughs> um, so, you, so people are very wary of doing the same thing with spirits, even though the beer guys get away with it. Um, mm. That's not really an excuse. 
uh, a lot of the guys in the like the New Zealand home distilling sort of community are um, older gentlemen that have been doing it for a very long time uh, and at the very least they sort of remember back to a time where it wasn't legal so they um, how do you put it they they tend to in the community support the letter of the law and say no like, no one's sharing it no one's you cannot give me a sample i don't want it no one else is allowed to share it or sample it you know on a forum or on the facebook page or any of that stuff and we sure as shit aren't organizing a competition where 30 or 40 of us get together um right and share our spirits around just because of the perception that sits around yeah. spirits uh and so technically it's legal but taboo so distilling is legal but taboo no it's 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 legal to distill for your own personal supply yep. and uh, sharing it with mate on a sunday barbecue is not your own personal supply the same, yeah. the same as it is for beer but no one cares for beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean in, in practice in practice man as long as you're not being an ass hat and like as soon as you're trading it for home kill or selling it or any of that sort of stuff you're just being silly and you're asking to get your door kicked in um mm. for sure but there is, I don't know, man, there is there is this 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 kind of hole in the I don't want to call it an industry because it's not an industry, a hole in the community where that would be amazing, right? Like like mm. imagine if we could have a, a one event a year that rotated once it was in Auckland, then Wellington, then Christchurch, and it was a celebration of home distilling and everyone could come together and we could have uh, like a, a home distilling competition. There's I don't know, three categories. There's one white spirits, gin and age spirits or whatever. And shit, I don't know. Like you can turn it into a whole event. You can have invite you guys to come over and speak about your specialty or have the people from Gladfields come and talk about malt or, you know, that, that sort of stuff would be really, really good. Uh, and it's just trying yeah. to figure out how, how that fits in with the legalities. Um, mm. And it, it, it basically seems like as long as you pay the, the tax on the product, there's kind of a way to get around it. Um, not around it, a way to do it legally. And, yeah. and I kind of feel like if we could get to that point, then that's maybe the springboard that would really push people towards moving from home distillers to, to micro distillers, not even craft distillers, which is getting back to your, your question, right? Where people have got like this tiny little, you know, maybe they've got a hundred liter still in their shed, but they're all they've got their CCA and they're, they're doing everything by the book and they can supply one bar, not because it's making them money, but because they enjoy drinking there and their mates want to be able to go and drink a product that's made from lavender and oranges from around the corner. <laughs> you know, like, it would be cool. Uh, and, and that's that's what I hope New Zealand gets to. And then that that can be the stepping stone for bigger and bigger things. Uh, but in saying that, man, there's, there's a lot of really cool craft distillery springing up and doing cool things as well um yeah, yeah it's just it's going to be interesting to see where the where it all shakes out as they grow uh and i'm sure there'll be a boom bust cycle of there's a shitload of new distilleries popping up maybe we can't support them all maybe mm -hmm. we can i don't know it's going to be interesting to see where, where that all sort of evens out yeah, yeah so what's, what's the roadmap if you're in new zealand and you want to open your own craft distillery and you know nothing about distilling, what, what do you do? Where do you go for training? Where do you, do you just read a lot? Or, or is there an, 
is there opportunities over there, training courses and that? Are other distillers offering mentor-type setups? How's it, how's it working over there? Um, I just saw one of your, your viewers, William, was pretty much asking if I'd, I'd consider that too. Um, I, I did consider it. So basically, still it was like my side hustle thing. So still it's yeah. the YouTube channel, Chase the Crafts, the, the company that the, the, the YouTube channel sits inside. Yep. Um, and right at the beginning of COVID, uh, well, before COVID rocked up, the job that I was working at, we, we were having a few problems with a, a couple of our largest clients and things were a little bit shaky. And then COVID turned up and that was it, man. I was out of a job. Uh, so I basically, I, I text the wife and said that I didn't have a job anymore. <laughs> And by the time I came home, I already had like four texts on my phone saying, basically, so we're starting a distillery then, are we? And yeah, like for probably probably two weeks, I looked into it pretty solidly. And yep. oh, William, I'm, I'm not going to do it, man. It's just, it doesn't make sense for me at the moment. Um, the What we were talking about before, the, 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 the road from the amount of money that you invest and how much of it you have to invest and then the time until you're making money on it. Um, that's not the sort of thing you I wanted to do when I just lost the job. <laughs> it didn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, like to answer your question, man, I I think that the first step is talk to the local council uh, and talk to the um, customs office because um, those are the two people you have to satisfy the most, and the 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 uh, the, the local municipalities of where yeah. you are in new zealand may have different standards to elsewhere in new zealand um so i would very much make sure you get in touch with people uh, at a local level first and start sort of working up from there the 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 cca and the the, the um custom side of it didn't seem that tricky to um make them satisfied yeah. just a lot of a lot of record keeping um and Kind of the security side of it as well uh from in terms of training um i'm not sure w which way i'd go with that honestly i think i think because we are in in a country if we're talking specifically about new zealand just get some small gear man spend like if you're seriously thinking about doing this as a profession go out and spend like two grand on equipment and Go, go nuts at home for however long you can and see if you actually enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, why, why would you not? Like if you, if you can try it before you buy it, why, why, why not? And start honing your craft, figuring out what you're doing. Uh, yes, you're going to have problems where, um, you know, maybe you make something that's really tasty on a 50 liter still and now you got to scale it up to whatever, like a 500 liter still or a 2000 liter still. You're going to have scaling issues, but at least you understand what a good product is and how you can make that and what it tastes like when it's coming off the still and, and all those sort of things um it, it, like, like you said before it's just this huge advantage that kiwis have that no one else really does yeah so why the hell would you not um and if you get into that and there's there's a there's a pretty tight-knit group of new zealand home distillers that as long as you can prove that you're actually uh putting effort in yourself and, and actually trying to learn yourself uh, there's people there that'll they will give you an insane amount of time uh, and expertise and help to help you out and the same thing goes for 
commercial distillers as well. The, I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm sure you guys get approached all the time. Hey, man, I, I'm thinking of starting a distillery. Can I come and pick your brains for 15 hours for free for nothing? And then three weeks later, you talk to them and they're like, oh, yeah, I thought about it, but no, nah, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, you know, and, and you guys just gave away thousands of dollars worth of expert advice for nothing and the guy didn't really give a shit you know so if you are going to approach uh professional distillers don't even think about talking to them until you've got like all of your stuff sorted know the like prove to them that you actually care and that you're actually into it and that's yeah. actually what you want to do and you've already started doing it uh, and then offer them something back man like it doesn't offer to pay them or i don't know offer to come and help them out on a bottling run or something but just don't expect people to to give you their experience to basically help you set up competition for them <laughs> for nothing yeah. it's kind of that uh, but yeah I don't know. It, 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 over here there, there's know. a um there's a real underlying philosophy uh which has been built basically on the back of bill lark who's the godfather in australia of, of australian whiskey and it's a rising tide floats all, all boats, yep. um, which is very much, you know, someone helped you, so therefore you help someone else. Uh, payback, right? Uh, and that's a very, very uh, strong sentiment in the industry. Um, I, you know, talk to a numerous distillers uh, and they, they say the same thing. But what is creeping in as the industry is growing and growing is these people that are, that are coming in and basically don't want to do the hard work they you know they don't want to do the learning side of it they just want you to tell them how to do everything so that they can go off and, and do it so more and more australian distillers are going well that's that's not how we learned you know we invested we invested mm. time energy in relationships and people and you know we did the hard work we did the research right so uh by yeah. our mistake so again Learned by our mistakes. Yeah, yeah, and learned Learn. by your mistakes. Ab absolutely. Yep. So it's uh, as the industry grows and matures, uh, these sort of things happen. I guess it's 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 the nature of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is too that uh, the the people that don't want to put in the hard work are not the people that are going to further the industry. They're not going to. Do something amazing they're going to do that they're the sort of person that, that are always going to do the bare minimum because that that whatever they they like the idea of owning a distillery they think it's going to make them rich they think it's going to make them famous they whatever do you know what i mean like yep. yeah but in, in saying that i very very much agree with the sentiment of uh oh who was it there was um spencer from the texas texas whiskey trail Oh man, he had a great way of putting it. It wasn't it wasn't friendly competition, but it was something like that. It was a really cool phrase that basically said, "I'm going to do everything I can to kick your ass and make something better than you, because I want to beat you. But at the same time, we're family, and yeah, yeah. If you need something, I'll help you out. But I'll kick yep. your ass." <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I thought that was that was beautiful because it means that everyone's everyone's striving to be amazing. But at the same time, um, we're all in it together. And from a marketing point of view too, it, it, it might seem like in New Zealand, 
or in Australia, you know, there's 300 distilleries. That's 300 distilleries in little old Australia. Uh, it's kind of like a flooded market. There's there's just there's too much, you know, can feel like that a little bit. But as soon as you get outside of Australia, the same thing with Australia, right? Australia and New Zealand have this awesome image overseas, especially in um, America and Asia, where once you get over there, it's it's almost like it's it's blue ocean. You know, there's there's only 300 Australian distilleries and only a few of them are over here. So if you can if you can help another Australian distillery make something beautiful yeah. that goes to America or, or Asia and people really enjoy it, all that's doing is advertising for you too. You know, it's lifting the bar mm. of it's making Australian whiskey or New Zealand whiskey uh, more and more premium. So when you enter yeah. that space, you can command a higher price or, you know, sell more bottles or whatever too. So yeah, that's kind of the advantage and disadvantage of being a small nation, I guess, <laughs> relatively. The um, Talking about America, um, so I, I had an experience uh, four years ago, three, four years ago. Um, very, very strange situation. But anyway, I was invited to Whiskey Live. Um, and all I had was um, New Make Spirit and uh, independent bottling, a work in progress. And that is it. And I went over to the US with uh, Cameron Symes from Limeburners, uh, very established distiller, first wave distiller here, and Jordan Rochford from uh, then it was McLaren Vale Distillery. And the cool thing about it was, uh, so we're at Whiskey Live in New York, and the three of us are there side by side, right? And we're behind our table, and I'm standing there, and you've got Glendronic, you've you've got uh, Ben Wright, you've got Jack Daniel, you've got all the big ones, right? And there's little old me, Craftworks, that had nothing, right? Seriously, I had nothing. I didn't even have labels. I had handwritten labels, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Lime Burners Cam had established product, and and so did uh, Johnny. But anyway, so I'm standing there behind my table, and and I'm I'm looking around, and I'm going, ah, nah, nah. So I did the typical Australian thing. And so I got around from behind my bench and walked out to the crowd. And uh, other um, storeholders were looking at me going, what's he doing? You know, it, why is he not behind his stand? And I was just going out and I was just going out to people and going, guys, have you ever tasted any Australian whiskey? And they're like, God, no. What's that? And so we actually created a buzz in the show. And what we were doing is we were pulling people to our stands. And the more people we pulled, the more it attracted other people. Um, and at the end of the show, they said, the, the promoters, they said, it was so cool that the Australians were there because they, they bought a different element. And it was that, you know, fuck it, let's just give it a go. Let, let's go and just, just tell them what, you know, what we're up to sort of thing. And everyone I talked to didn't even know Australia had whiskey. Um, and that just shows you the, you know, the opportunities. Uh, they're out there. You're right. It's blue, it's blue water out there if, if you... If you got the time, energy, and resources to do it, and it'd be the same in New Zealand, no doubt, as well. Pushing out, and like I said, I've mentioned uh, New Zealand Whiskey Company a few times, um, kicking goals big time, big, big times. And uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Cyril, you know, Cyril from um, Cyril, Cyril Yates, I think it is. No, no, all right, wrong name, maybe the wrong name. <laughs> uh, a distiller, old Wilson's Whiskey. 
and oh, uh, okay. come out of retirement. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's down at um, it's either Omaru or Dunedin. I'm not too sure. They, they, there's a distillery down there. They're bringing wash out of Spates. So Spates is making it for them and then distilling. So it's... Uh, yeah, is that Omaruvian? Yeah. Is it? Is it? That's I'm not question. sure. I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm just, I'm just rambling on. Just All right, what do you want to talk about, Jesse? Uh, what's our time like? Oh, we're not too bad. Um, while you're on Wilson's, say again. So while we're on the topic of Wilson's, what's your childhood memory of Wilson's? Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. So Jesse, you know Wilson's whiskey, right? Uh, yeah, I actually, I've just, I, I, I didn't know of it, and someone gave me a box of old um, minis, wow. and it was a like a, I think it was like nineteen. 75 or something wilson's whiskey it's like oh yeah. I'm wilson this is cool uh, i did not know they were they were coming back so i'm gonna have to check that out <laughs> when i was 18 i went away with a group of friends and as you do you tend to consume a, a bit of alcohol on a beach holiday with with 18 year old friends and i got absolutely annihilated off wilson's whiskey running down sand dunes and, and face face plowing it took me, it took me until my forties before I could even drink whiskey again. Oh man! It was, wow, it scarred me severely. So, one of one of my pleasures is with people come in the shed and they go, um, uh, "Do you like whiskey?" And they go, "No, mate, I had a bad experience in my in my teens." They go, "Ah, let's try and get you back on the horse. I think I know how I can do that." So, <laughs> yeah, Wilson, Wilson's whiskey. Oh, it's uh, it's the equivalent of Bundy rum over here. It's got a, it's got right. a lot to answer for. It's scarring all the people. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Did it what? All right, go back to my question on the US. So, personally, I'm I'm very excited about the US craft uh, distilling scene. Um, I find it fascinating that a lot of it's built on the back of the craft brewing scene. And so they have this in-depth knowledge of malts and, and brew process and applying it through their, through their you know, making their spirits. What's, what's your take? Because I know you've been to the, the U.S. You spent some time, I think it was down south, didn't you, in, in, uh, in Kentucky, Texas. Tennessee, wasn't it? Or, yeah, or Texas. Texas, was it? Yeah. Okay. What's your take on the U.S. Um, scene? Um, I, I don't know as much about it as I would like to. I know a fair bit about Texas whiskey and that in and of itself is fascinating. Um, yep. The fact that Texas whiskey is only 12 years old now is mind boggling to me. Uh, it, for some reason, like it feels like Texas and whiskey should be, that should just be yeah. a thing. Right? Yeah, but it's not. Think, yeah. well, it's only recently become that. Uh, in saying that, what they're doing there is stunning. The the climate that they're working with is extremely different than anywhere else uh, that, you know, in terms of known areas for whiskey. The the talent is insane there. Uh, and the, the the breadth of different products coming out of out of Texas is bonkers. So for anyone listening, I can't recommend Texas enough. It is literally the wild west of whiskey. And it's small enough that you can still walk in now and and the you know, you can probably find the the head distiller or the owner hanging out behind the bar, you know, during the day or 
scrubbing pots or whatever as well. Very, very cool. Uh, and saying that, outside of that, I haven't had a lot of experience with it uh, other than, you know, talking to random people. Uh, Matt Drew from Single Malt Matters podcast, for, for one. I've talked to him a few times. He's yep. coming at it from a, a malt perspective. He was a maltster, uh, and now he's fascinated with it. Uh, and like you said, there is this really interesting thing where just so many of the distillers come from beer uh, or the literally tacking a distillery onto a craft brewery. So there is kind of a, a different, there's a different wave of, of whiskey starting to come yep. where, you know, it used to be like no knock on the Scots whatsoever. Cause as far as I'm concerned, it's fucking magic what they do. Uh, and Scotch is my jam. Like that, that's my favorite thing. But imagine what those guys could do the same distilleries could do if they were suddenly starting out again you know the these people that have got 40 years experience at whatever Lefroy or Ardbeg or Glen Berenji yeah. imagine if they were starting out fresh they didn't have to worry about money the constraints that they're in yeah and they didn't have those constraints uh and they could just fuck with different yeasts and specialty malts and all of that mm. sort of stuff and that is what I feel like it's starting to happen in America. It seems like there's a bit of a reckoning coming in terms of their um, their guidelines for brand uh, for different categories in terms of exactly what who's going to be able to do what where and new oak versus um, second use or fifth use oak and you know all those sort of things. It doesn't seem quite settled, um, but it's exciting, man. It's very very exciting to see what's going to happen and. Uh, how do I put it? Um, I, I think I think American single malt is going to be very interesting because you know obviously America's bourbon country, right? And like you said, yep. Kentucky, Tennessee, blah blah blah. Uh, but American single malt is really starting to catch on. So it's I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see how they. Yeah, there you well, go. There. Some of the uh, one of the the godfathers of. American, <laughs> absolutely. American oh, yeah. One of the bottles I was going to drink myself tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Westland. We're actually um, we're we're uh, doing a shooting the shit episode with Westland um, next month, I think, from memory. Um, awesome. Which, which is is very very cool. We um, yeah, because Westland, oh, they're they're cutting edge. I mean, what they've been doing and and what they've been doing over over quite a few years and their focus on grain uh and their their push through specialty malts and showing what flavor profiles they can build absolutely fascinating stuff it really mm. is so it's uh mm. yeah the the i'm i was um i was i was talking to um a guy called bill owens uh, who is the ex american distillers institute um, president, he came to Australia a few years ago and we showed him around and he was just blown away by sort of tin sheds in the middle of nowhere and people making whiskey. <laughs> he thought that was really, really cool. Um, and I told him, you know, 2022, I, yeah, depends on what happens in the world, but 2022, America is my destination. I really want to go and understand what's happening, what's happening in the American single malt uh, movement, because you're right, there's some really interesting things on there. They're, they're trying to 
you know, differentiate themselves from bourbon and play by different rules than, than the bourbon makers. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It really is. And yeah, we find in Australia, um, most of Australian whiskey distillers, I think it would be fair to say, are influenced by Scottish, uh, the Scottish yeah. techniques, the Scottish ways of making whiskey. But there are some that are influenced by the American styles uh, as well. So it's uh, which is good, you know. It's a it's a bit of a bit of a hybrid of uh, what's going on out there in the world. There's some there's some very cool things happening with corn, in well in, in Texas for one, uh, and the the distillery that jumps to mind there is Iron Root Iron Root Republic. Yes, they. It's it's very very cool to see people. How do you put it? They they drew a Venn diagram for me, and I can't remember that exactly what it was, but I think it was it was bourbon, single malt, uh, brandy, and was one other spirit. And the intersection of you know like the the the, the intersection of the Venn diagram of those spirits, bang, that's what Iron Root is. I, said, I don't quite understand. And I said, well, we've literally gone to all of these places and we've learnt techniques from all of these places and now we're bringing those back and that's how we're treating our spirit and you could just you could feel the love and the the passion and the there's just something driving these guys that that you don't see every day and little things like that literally their mum was <laughs> he said check your instagram out and their mum's out plant, planting um heirloom corn varieties so they've got enough to be able to harvest it themselves and then do a, a test batch. And if it works out, then they go and talk to the local farmers and convince someone to grow it for them, you know, which is just the complete and utter opposite compared to what bourbon has been for a lot of people for, for so long, which is yellow dent corn, the government subsidizes, yep. it's cheap, you know, <laughs> that's about all there is to it. Fuck it. We filter it anyway. Um, you know, so it, it it's very cool to see, people taking what is quite unquote, you know, the American spirit bourbon and bringing it into this, like the, the craft generation as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And then, then you have these like both worlds colliding. Uh, yeah. There's exciting stuff coming for sure. And I mean, let's face it, dude, most of the Western world kind of just copies America on a lot of stuff. <laughs> You know, so, it, is, it is very much a follow me, isn't it? Yeah. So it would be very, very depressing if in 2021, uh, the American craft spirit world, if that was bleak and depressing, I would be scared for craft spirits yeah. <laughs> in a lot of places. <laughs> but if they're doing kick-ass things, yeah. then, you know, like I've got high hopes for a lot of other people too, which is sad because, I mean, I'd like to think we'd do it anyway, but who knows? <laughs> Hopefully we can be the influencers one day. Maybe, man, maybe. Um, yeah, I was hoping to get over to uh, to Texas again this October uh, for the Bastards Ball, um, which is an annual whiskey event there. But I don't know, man. I, that still might be a little bit tight this year. It might have yeah, to be the year. Don't see but... that happening, my friend. Don't see yeah. that happening. Yeah, I need to get to Australia too. Out. There's so many, so many cool distilleries in Australia that I need to come and visit. Mm. Um, oh yes, 
It's one in KPD, but you're more to come to. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to locally, back to New Zealand, do you do you find that there's a, a difference in style or um, or marketing or whatever between the North Island and the South Island? Like we've got mainland and Tasmania. Obviously, there's Tasmania sort of see themselves as their own. Uh, they see themselves a bit better than us, I think. Um, but do you see a, a bit of a divide or a difference or a competition between North and South? Um, to be honest, man, I'm I'm not that tapped into the New Zealand commercial market to really see it. I mean, I I maybe buy one, maybe two bottles of New Zealand product a month, if that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, if I if I tried to give you an answer on that, I feel like I'd be making it up. Um, but that, that could be... be ignorance. Sure. So who should we be looking out for uh, in New Zealand? Who's on your radar um, as doing exciting things locally that we Spirits can get in general. To? Yeah, in general. yeah. Um, Soren from 1919 Distillery, uh, Distillery in Auckland. Uh, simply because uh, you guys know pineapple lumps, yeah? Yeah. He made a pineapple oh, yeah. lump. And it sounds like a complete and utter novelty, um, you know, like just a something for to say I've done it and to, to, to get a sideways glance, right? And I guess it kind of is, but dude, it works, man. In and of itself, really? it, is a, it is a good gin and it straight up tastes like pineapple lumps. <laughs> <laughs> so that was impressive. I know how much work he put into making that happen. Um, that was a lot of work. Uh, wow. And he's got some, some great other gins as well. His um, his uh, pink gin is also very nice because it is not overly sweet. It's just a, it's a really good gin. gin. Um, who else? Uh, Lunatic and Lover out of Auckland as well uh, because they made, uh, they're doing botanical rum. Which is a new mm. thing for me. Mm, uh, interesting. That is, yeah, it is interesting. I, I mean, I'm the sort of person that tends to gravitate towards. How do you put it? I would rather pick a bottle off a shelf that I've never had before, and I'm probably not going to like nearly as much as my favorite spirits. But I know there's something about it that is completely different to what I've ever had before, right? So yeah. uh, I, I tend to go for crazy things, um, because it's good inspiration for me and it's a good um like just another peg in the sand in terms of oh that's what a botanical gin tastes like maybe i can use that mm. later on you know um it is a gorgeous well, bottle. was that sorry it's a gorgeous bottle lunatic and love it yeah yeah that's I've pretty just posted out it into the uh into the the comments um they've got two there barrel rest and silver and yeah, it looks yeah, gorgeous bottle. Yeah, I'd pick that off the shelf absolutely. Yeah, it's a cool bottle, eh? Um, speaking of cool cool bottles, I really like the uh, the Dancing Sands branding. That stands out to me. Uh, that's just kind of a personal choice, I guess. Um, but yeah, like, like I was saying before, I I mean I I don't get the the luxury of being able to make the same thing again every 
every time I'm in the in the shed running the still, I really need to be making content. I don't have enough hours in the day to make enough videos as it is. So I don't I don't get to distill just for the fun of it. And making the same thing 15 times to get a two percent improvement every time you distill it doesn't make good content. <laughs> so, so what have been the best or the the most loved videos that you've made? Are you seeing a trend? It goes two ways, man. There's 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 two types of loved. There's how many views does it get? Yep. Um, which is great for me. Uh, it is quite addictive to, to, to see those metrics jump, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, but the videos that do that are videos that appeal to people that don't distill. So if I can make a video that's about distilling, but someone goes, huh, how do you make vodka out of potatoes? Click. Um, you know, that, that's great for me in terms of the YouTube channel. But it's not... How do I... It's not advancing the community it's not giving the it, it's junk food for the the community do you know what i mean yeah um, interesting I, I think maybe the the yellow label yeast the angel yellow label stuff was probably the stuff that i've enjoyed most in terms of the community just because it's something that was quite um i was by far not the first person that was using it there's plenty of other people using it but it's probably the most fringe sort of thing that i've used and and had a lot of feedback in terms of people using it now uh, and that stuff's wild, man. Have you have you guys played with that? Have you seen that? What yellow uh, yeast? What it's um, Vikings it's, we're talking about, or something else? Um, it's the the brand is Angel, and it's everyone just refused refers to it as Yellow Label because it's it looks just like the standard um, Angel packet, but it's got a little yellow thing on it, and it's all in Chinese or something. So. God knows what it says. Even just says it's yellow label, but you can literally take, you can Do take, yeah, yeah, you can take um, wheat bix or any pretty much any starch sauce. So yeah. let's roll with wheat bix. You can take ten box of wheat bix, throw it into a bucket, put cold water into it, throw angel yellow label in it, and it'll ferment. You don't have to gelatinize it. <laughs> You don't have to gelatinize it. You don't have to convert it. There's no, like, nothing. It yeah. is bonkers, man. It's absolute fucking magic. So, so what does it uh, taste like? Um, I haven't made a whiskey out of it yet. Uh, I made a soju out of it. So it was literally just rice, cold water, yellow label. Um, yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Right. It was very... Um, old school soju not like the new soju so it had funk and um almost a um like a sweet sweetiness to it uh but i like those flavors like i like those yeah. grungy flavors so that's what i was aiming for yeah, uh, mm -hmm. yeah it, the, the idea that you don't have to gelatinize the starch and you don't have to mash it that's um that's pretty cool in my book man that's magic yeah wow <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And will so that, as a, I mean, so as a, how much have you experimented with that? Sorry, Crafty. Yeah. No, yeah. You've done, you've, what did you, I'm just trying to find the video now because I want to watch that one now. Um, what did you use with that yeast? Uh, the first one was rice and I, I so did something rice, else. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> ramen. I did ramen noodles with it. Ramen. Ramen noodles. I was scrolling past and I saw the ramen one. Like, <laughs> curious. All right. Cool. Um, because it straight up tastes like ramen still, and that's not <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Different. Wow. Do you reckon yeah, it could work with barley? Oh, it'll it'll work. It'll ferment it for sure. You'd have to crush it, obviously. Um, yep. Uh, but it's, I, I haven't I haven't tried it yet. I don't know what it's like. Mm. Um, I, I because once again, like we're talking about these all these guys coming from beer, right? I I came from beer first, so I'm a very firm believer that the brewing process and the fermentation process has a huge impact on the final product of whiskey. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Agree. Which is, totally agree. Going back to what we were saying about the Scots, right? Like, imagine what would happen if, if those guys that they can make product out of something where basically they don't give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is amazing. So I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like it would probably turn that on its ear, and it would make something that is very different than um, than something fermented with USO five and mashed, for mm. example. Um, but I need to try it. I need to try it for sure. Oh, uh, Kvike. Have you guys messed with Kvike? Like, we did, actually. We, we did. We played around with it, but in a very uncontrolled way. The only thing I would say is pineapple and freaking fast. That's the mm. two things I would say. Pineapple and farts? No, freaking <laughs> fast. Oh, freaking fast. <laughs> I was imagining oh. slippery pineapple. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like we 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 generally work on about a we, we yeah five to seven day ferment. We go for a long ferment, um, and part of the reason for that is because I live in Sydney and my distillery is uh, two and a half hours away. So uh, it's a timing thing, but also yep. longer ferments means more ester generation means potentially more uh, complexity. But the bike when we played around with the bike um, and in the shed, it was like. Fuck me, that's fast. It was done and dusted in two days. And it was like, wow. And yeah, um, there are distillers in Australia who are very excited by bike. Um, there's a distillery in South Australia called Flurio. A guy called Gareth Andrews, Angela Andrews. And they were brewers that decided the brewing space was getting too tight. So they moved into distilling and they make some world-class whiskies nowadays. And Gareth is very, very excited, excited by bike yeast. He sees it as huge potential uh, in Australia and, and changing the way you, you, you know, you're making your washes. The, the, the uh, how do I put this? The most exciting thing for me is because of what I just said, right? Like I believe in the brewing process to make whiskey. Yep. That's not really great in a commercial setting <laughs> in terms of the amount of faffing around that you do and the amount of time that you've got stuff sitting in a in a fermenter right as opposed to ferment it in two days put it in the still wham bam thank you ma'am done yep the funny thing is is the nerdiest most anal craziest brewers that i can talk to are basically saying that 
everything you know about fermentation, throw it out the fucking window when it comes to kvike. You want to ferment at 35 degrees Celsius? Have at it. You want to completely underpitch, like put nothing, no yeast in yeah. your... <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> you want to do it in three days? Fine. Go for it. Yeah. And then it still throws these crazy, crazy esters. I used um, Hornendale, and it yes. tasted like uh, pawpaw or papaya, depending on where you're I from. Remember the video? And fruit roll ups. Oh, wow. I was, like, where did this come from? Like, fruit leather. <laughs> yeah. And no more so, flavors. Hot ferments and no more flavors. It, it, it does your head in a bit, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Um, yeah, I, I need to play with it more. It's hard. It's hard to get down here. I think. Um, uh, what's uh, Voss? I think we can get. Is it Voss? Voss. Is that's what Voss. I was using. Voss. Right, mm. and that's more citrusy, isn't it? Very pineapple-y would be the way I'd describe it. From the wash or from the still? Uh, more, more the aromas than anything else. The the actual right. wash itself, it was a bit. Uh, it, it, it wasn't scientific the way that we did it and we mixed it in the end with something else. So it was really just a, a first test to see, you know, what, how, how it actually worked. Um, mm. And the re main reason we looked at it is because in summer um, we're not temperature controlled. So yeah. we have a generally from December through to late February, we don't really distill whiskey. It's just, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work. We can't brew. So the idea was to try the bike and see if the bike could actually bridge us through because you can, you know, ferment at much higher temperatures. Um, it's definitely something I'd, I'd look at it again. It's not cheap. It's definitely not cheap, and you really need to propagate it yourself to, to make it viable. But uh, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I remember four years ago trying to find stuff about it on the net, and there was nothing. And now oh, it's yeah. so cool. You just get on YouTube. There's just so much about bike yeast. It's incredible. <laughs> You might it's exciting have... the world, isn't it? The brewing oh, yeah, particularly. Totally. I, I, I've just decided I need to do one of the um, the magic sticks or the the yeast rings. Give that a whirl and see how. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, that's basically <laughs> be a fun free, <laughs> free yeast for life, right? And the the reason I say that, man, is when I um, I don't think I put it in the video because it was it was getting to be a long video and I had to cut something, but um. I ordered the yeast, I think from memory it was during COVID, it took like three and a half weeks to get here, and I'm pretty sure most of that time was just sitting in a warehouse warm. Yeah. I finally opened the yeast bag up, and I'd, I'd done my calculations, and I was going to, I wanted to underpitch the shit out of it to try and really push the ester production. And I opened the bag up, and it just smelt like yeast death, it just smelt like autolysis. Like, oh man, is this even gonna work? Is this gonna I don't know, man. I don't know what to do. So I doubled I doubled my pitch rate from what it was, which was still yeah. a quarter of what any sane person would pitch, you know, like a standard brewer's yeast at. Six hours later, six hours later, humming. Absolutely humming. And it, it literally just smelt like dead yeast. So zombie yeast. Pretty much, man. Like, I hate to think what the viable cell count was in that. It can't have been good. <laughs> wow. So my point being is, like, in terms of 
um, once again, just throwing caution to the wind and saying, screw it, and kind of throwing best brewing practices out the window. I mean, maybe like a magic stick or a, or a yeast ring <laughs> would would literally just get you by. I don't know, man. And you can kind of kind of have your own your own your own culture. Sounds like the uh, sounds like the yeast that will be most prominent uh, once uh, global warming really kicks in, <laughs> and every other yeast can't handle the temperature. Uh, that's all we'll be left with, and we'll still be sweet. Yeah, <laughs> and you can thank the Norwegians for it, can't you, Jesse? From memories, Norwegian originally yep. farmhouse yeast. Yeah, but yep. it doesn't yeah. get above zero, there, does it? Yeah, I know. It's a bit. That's of a, weird, isn't it? How does it tolerate yeah. that much heat? So, have you got any uh, weird and wonderful projects in the works? Things that are like a long-term, slow-burn things that you're working on. Um. Yeah, there's a couple that, that come you to can mind. talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm happy to. I know. I want to. I just want to hear everything that you're not allowed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of long-term stuff, uh, I'm, I'm constantly bridging the gap between. I'm lucky enough to have some pretty big equipment in terms of what the standard home distiller would have, and it's kind of nice to think of it like a tech channel or a automotive channel or or whatever sometimes it's nice to show off stuff that no one else has got and let them live vicariously through you just for interest sake but then on the other side of things you got to not alienate people and you've got to do like really really small scale stuff that someone who's just starting in the hobby and only wants to spend 500 bucks you know something that's accessible for them so i'm always yeah. sort of flipping between the two uh, and one of the projects that i've i've kind of set myself as a long-term goal is to um I, I don't know how much you guys know of the homebrewing scene but there's, there's a big thing in the homebrew scene about making basically sugar heads and then different techniques of how you flavor them oh i've got some weird feedback going on um mm. how you can uh flavor those to end up tasting like a, a whatever you know like a, a whiskey right. or, or a, a bourbon or a rum or, or or whatever it happens to be uh, so one of the things that I've set myself is to try and take that one step further and kind of give people the first step into all grain, but do it with a safety net um, and do it in a way that kind of takes all the scary stuff out of it and just lets people have at it, go for it. Mm -hmm. And if they fuck up, it doesn't matter because I've got a safety net. Um, and I've only done one of those so far, which was the, um, I did a, a whiskey it was kind of like it was a single malt with sugar as well. Uh, so I need to, I really want to keep developing those um, and, and develop. The, the long-term goal is to have, uh, I'm calling them a T501 because it's the next step T500 thing because that's like the entry-level uh, beginners still that a lot of people mm -hmm. pick up. Right. Um, so there'll be a T501 um, Isla. There'll be a T501 space side there'll be a t501 bourbon rum so on yeah, and so cool. forth so that that's something that's quite um exciting for me but also weird because it's it's uh how do you put it it's purposely making something that is not as good <laughs> as it could be if that makes sense i think i know what uh, you mean it's trying yeah. to it's trying to replicate i mean that's that's what a lot of home brewers 
are trying to do. They, uh, they'll look at a beer that they like to drink on a daily basis and they want to replicate that as much as possible. And when you're looking at all the recipes online, it's a such and such clone. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so hard for whiskey, right? Because you can have the oh. recipe and it doesn't matter because there was 4,000 barrels blended together to make that. Absolutely. That, yeah. that flavor just doesn't happen. But to relate it back to beer, you know how you've got like kitten kilo homebrew mm -hmm. and then on the other end of it, you've got a three vessel all grain system. Yeah. And then in between, you've got uh, a partial mash or a steeped mash. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. aiming for that partial mash, steeped mash yeah. zone. Yep. Um, to, to sort of get people going down this end, you know, like to yeah. move them down that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of something that's through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and sort of just develop them in terms of kind of show them that it's not that hard. It's really not like enzymes and you do the hard work for you and it's magic. You feel like an alchemist, you know, get on with it. It's, it's what about the other side of, the distilling process like so yes you've got the 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 core of the 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 grain the yeast the aging process the the and then the distillation process but then you've got things like um the temperature of your still and um how you can um uh, maintain or cool your circulation water that sort of thing are they things that you could explore how to um, do that on a on a shoestring budget? Ways that you can uh, sort of rig up a a, a a water circulation chiller of some form and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Are, they, are they sort of directions that you would go in as well, or uh, is it more about the actual ingredient side? No, for sure. So remember when I was talking about there's two types of videos. One is yep. the in, in YouTube wanky talk, the, the stuff that I talked about last time are discovery videos. So those are the videos you put out there to get your channel discovered. Like mm. people that the, the idea is that it's interesting enough for a large enough amount of people that you're hoping that video will just go out there and start being served up to people that have never seen you before and they'll get interested. Come back and see the channel and the channel mm. will grow. The flip side of that is the community content, which is content that you're creating to nourish and build a community, basically. So those mm. sort of videos are what would fit there. So mm. some person who's never thought of distilling themselves couldn't give a flying fornication about a shotgun versus a Liebig condenser. They don't even know what those are. They're never going to click on it, right? But once people are in the community, once they're already um still at viewers and or home distillers or whatever yeah sure that stuff's really interesting to those people and those videos will never be as successful in terms of the the raw metrics that they'll pull um but they're the videos that create a a core of regular viewers that keep coming back mm. and, and that is so important for especially for someone like me that's doing a subject like this because if i don't have a group of people that I can depend on to call bullshit on me if I'm doing something silly um, or pull me up if I've just straight up done something wrong or I've given misinformation um, that I lose my credibility instantly. So 
that's that's great that I've got them there. But also just from a creativity point of view, right? So those things that you just suggested, when I have people in the comment section go, hey, have you ever thought of? That's gold for me, man. I've got a list of like 400, <laughs> 400 possible videos. That's probably a slight exaggeration. Maybe 150 that I can um, go and pull on at any given time. And for sure, man, like the, the nitty-gritty technical stuff of, um, you know, there, there's a whole lot that gets thrown around in the home distilling community a lot. And then there's things that, um, it's, it's just like beer once again, right? Like, so the classic mm. one for me is the, the whirlpooling um, when you're, you're cooling and, and creating a hop cone and all that sort of stuff. And for, for a long time, the, the homebrew beer guys were trying to recreate that at home because that's what the commercial guys did. And then they realized they only do it because they have to because they're using these giant volumes and we don't have to fucking do that at home. So why even bother? You know, like there's some really interesting dynamics that happen between what you can do in a 50 liter setup versus a, you know, a 10,000 liter setup. Uh, so all of those little like nitty gritty geeky things for sure, man. Uh, eventually, I hope I cover them all. Um, <laughs> but I hope I don't because if I do, then I'm out of a job. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There's, There's always, always multiple ways to cool water or to boil a pot. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, Todd's got a, a couple of questions. Uh, oh, do I? Okay. To, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> in, in relation to, so, Jesse, we, we started this, um, this channel. Uh, what are you up to now? Episode what? 13, 14? This is episode 15. 15. Nice. So, and the concept behind it was that um, during COVID, I could see that a lot of craft distillers were getting interviewed by different people, but the craft distillers weren't actually, they were only answering questions. They, they, they weren't actually given an opportunity to take a conversation whatever way they wanted to, whether it was about product or, or process or, or whatever. So... I started talking to people in the in the distilling space and said, "Well, fuck it, let's we'll do our thing called Aussie Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit, um, where we basically just shoot the shit and we talk about whatever, you know, whether it's process, product, whatever, it's whatever excites." And so, yeah, we're up to episode fifteen. We've interviewed TikTok uh, once. Sorry, TikTok once. TikTok once. Yeah, that's another story. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> But we've been, we've been really fortunate because we've also interviewed internationals like yourself. Uh, we've interviewed Waterford Distillery, uh, which to me is one of the most exciting distilleries on the planet right now in Ireland, uh, and, and others. And our approach is really just freewheeling, as you can, <laughs> you can tell. It's pretty freewheeling. <laughs> so Todd has some questions about... Todd, I'll hand it to you. What are we? What? What? what you're, you're on a roll there by almost asking them yourself. I know. I know. Finish it off. <laughs> like Todd, always. It off. So, so, <laughs> so you've seen us in action, and um, we're obviously a really slick machine, and everything's oiled perfectly. <laughs> How could we take our our wee podcast to the next level? I. Different people like like podcasts for different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Some people like highly edited, produced podcasts. I don't. I, I dislike it. Yeah. I really dislike it. Uh, and the reason being is that there's other forms of media for that, man. That's what YouTube is. Yeah. Right? When I edit 
a YouTube video, it takes me 20 hours sometimes to make one video after I've got all the footage. Wow. Which means yeah. that you don't get discussions. You don't get people talking about what comes to their mind. You don't get people saying what they really mean. You get people saying what they think they should say or what they think is the best thing to say. Mm-hmm. So you never really get to know someone, right? Like you, you kind of do if you watch enough. And and I really try to keep my YouTube channel real, but it's hard, hard. So for me, the beauty of a podcast is the exact opposite of that. It's freeform discussion. Uh, if you want to get distracted and talk about something that's only tangentially related for 45 minutes, that's the point in the fucking podcast. So I'm, I'm all for that, man. I think that's great. Um, the, the hard thing about podcasts is what, what platforms are you pushing this out to? Where does it go to? Uh, we're Luke? going to Apple uh, Podcasts, Play Podcasts, and Spotify, uh, plus and the you- website. Um, and YouTube. Yeah. And YouTube. Yeah. And Facebook Live. Cool. Um, yeah, the, the, the biggest problem with growing a, a podcast, in my mind, is that all of the podcatchers and podcast platforms are not discoverable platforms. So the only way to grow is by mm. word of mouth. They don't serve yeah. shit up. Um, YouTube's great, but this kind of content just doesn't fly on YouTube. Yeah. Um, look at look at my podcast numbers versus my video numbers, and you'll you'll see that mirrored in everyone um, who's Marquez Brownlee, who's one of the biggest tech YouTubers on the face of the planet. He's got 14 and a half million people following his channel. Uh, I think he's had like maybe 15 or 16 episodes uh, of his podcast is now on YouTube and it's got like 75,000 followers or something. There's nothing, you know? So trying to grow on YouTube with this kind of content yep. is just, it's like pushing shit up to the stick. We've got about a, I can, we've got 106 followers <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. Hey. And that's we've good. Man. 100. We're one, one eighth of our way to our goal. <laughs> With this kind of content when and 15 of them, that's doing pretty good. Um, so I guess my point is you've, you've, got it, um, you've got it hard from the beginning, right? Like yeah. there's, no real, there's no real platform that's tr- going to try and help you grow a podcast. Yeah. Um, no. so, so the networking aspect, like constantly talking to different guests, that's awesome. Um, you may want to consider uh, chopping it up to throw on YouTube. So pull out like a, a five minute soundbite from the, the, the bigger podcast that is a, like a standalone self-contained discussion yep. and then make a video and throw that on YouTube. Cause that's got a much better chance of doing better on YouTube. Okay. Um, that's good advice. <laughs> dude, other than that, man, like all the standard stuff, um, and yeah. as, as David says, uh, we need another <laughs> 700 followers uh, because we have a, uh, a competition on. Promo for the day. An offer. An offer. Oh, um, nice. if when you hit 1,000. When we hit the 800 mark, oh. uh, then one of our followers will receive uh, Cooper for a day with Andrew Young. Uh, sorry, two of our followers will receive Cooper for a day with Andrew Young at YN Cooperage. We get to make a barrel and I think take it home. Yep, mm-hmm. walk away with a 10-litre barrel. That How wicked is that? 
that yeah. your own blood, sweat, and tears have actually gone into, and probably <laughs> half your fingers. Um, and he's got insurance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, and then we've also got uh, 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 an overnight stay at uh, Mc, uh, McHenry Distillery. Uh, they've got some uh, some cabins in the woods there. Uh, so we've got these awesome promo prizes for when we reach those arbitrary benefits. Um, we're a little way away from that. Just a little, a little way. way. <laughs> That's okay. It's a passion project. Yeah. It is. As and it grows Jesse, every day. It grows project. every day. And at the end of the day, it is about talking to great, great um, people within the industry like yourself. So we, we do appreciate your time. Of course, man. I, I was going to ask too, like what's the main, uh, what's the main goal and what's your main target audience? The main goal, main goal is to increase exposure of Australian craft distillers so people can get to see them uh, talking about what they do and how they do it and, and who they are. And the sharing their passions. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so a the lot goal, of passionate the, people the out there. The goal of the podcast um, is, is not about us. It's not about no, us not getting recognition or fame or whatever it may be it is literally about the the industry um yeah. and getting as much exposure for it as possible a little bit of what we were talking about before about the um giving back to the the industry that's helped us so yeah. to help other people and is it about, is it about getting that exposure within the industry or about reaching end consumers in consumers as well. So in Australia, 1%, uh, no, t total alcohol consumption, 1% is Australian uh, spirits. 1%. So there's massive opportunity yeah. for growth for Australian spirits. And part of that is the connection with distillers and distilleries. So you know, when, when people understand what people are making and how they're making it and who they are and there's people behind the brand, that resonates. Particularly, honestly, since COVID, you know, people are getting back to basics. People are going, you know, I, just, I just want to know, you know what I'm doing, what I'm, what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, where it's coming from. Um, there's a lot of that going on. Um, and there's some fantastic craft spirits getting made in Australia. And... Yeah, you know, we know those stories and others know those stories and we just want to tell those stories more. Um, and we're not the only one. I mean, there's, there's quite a few uh, podcasts that are going on in Australia that, that sort of been born out of, out of COVID and you know, telling stories and it's great. People love it. I mean, you don't have to watch television anymore. There's enough out there. Totally. Now, the, the reason I ask is um, I think a lot of, a lot of podcasts like this and not just for distilling they yeah. run the risk of turning into like a an industry inside group which is yes. great that's what some people want it to be right and that's what i was asking what your end goal is and who you really want to reach so like for example a lot of what we what we've talked about tonight is going to be interesting for distillers it's not going True. to be interesting for mm. drinkers and trying to figure out how you bridge the gap between those that's tricky, man. I yeah, that yeah, I agree. That's a challenge. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, people 
people want to hear from distillers um, and hear their stories. But if you deep dive, you lose them. So yep. then you're only appealing to a certain subset, you know, the, 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 the whiskey nerds, the, the craft nerds. So, yep. yeah, no, it's... I guess it's, that's it's where it comes into uh, slicing it all up and picking out mm. small conversations yeah. that would appeal to the certain audiences, as you say, uh, and getting those, putting those where they would make the most sense. Yeah. Yeah, e- even that's tricky, man, because... Yeah, I don't know. Like, like I have a I have a relatively large crossover in terms of my audience between myself and the whiskey tribe. Um, and the reason I bring them up is I've done a fair bit of like collaboration and crossover stuff with them. Um, but in terms of active viewership, they don't watch that much uh, compared to the people that are actually distilling. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't. That's tricky. It's very very tricky. And and the beautiful thing about something like this is that those distillers they very, very seldomly get asked technical questions, right? So yes. in terms of, of saying like, so how are you running your condenser or, or what's your what's your copper contacts like? Or, you know, tell me about your fermentation temperature. Yep. Um, distillers will be excited to talk about that because that's the shit they never get asked when they talk with standard media. But the reason standard media don't ask those questions is the, the average Joe on the street doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they want to yeah, know... Yeah. Like, where did you come from and who is Which it a is unfortunate because it's that sort of stuff that gets the distiller excited mm-hmm. about what they're making that's what really gets their rocks off yeah. um and you they open a, up. yeah they open up and 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 they're talking about something they know and when when anyone's talking about something that they know they become super passionate uh, their 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 biggest fan uh, of their own work and what they're doing and why yeah. they're doing it that way and how they're doing it and what their little niche may be. Um, tapping into that is when you when you when you finally sort of hit that question and you see their face go, "Oh, I like I like that question." <laughs> mm. That's really from a uh, an interviewer point of view, really exciting to, to hit, sort of hit on that little pressure point, that little button there. Um, but it doesn't appeal to everyone. Um, yeah, it's a, I think we're in an interesting space uh, when we're not mass market, but we're not full niche. Uh, we're somewhere in between. Um, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, we do it for us. And we're going to have these conversations anyway, so we might as well record them and uh, and put them out there for other people to listen to as well. Well, I mean that's let's... the beauty of it, right? You don't need thousands of you don't need thousands and thousands of listeners to be able to. Look, the 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 best part of my job is being able to randomly contact someone that I find exciting what they're doing, and they actually reply to me. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's the best part. So like a big part of what you guys could be doing is creating uh, basically networking between Australian distillers and worldwide, whatever. Mm. Um, and yeah. just sort of thinking in terms of what you could do is you could, you could start expanding that not to distillers, right? Like you could start expanding that to um, maltsters and coopers. Correct. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 We're doing that. We're doing that, Jesse. Yeah. 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 
so so yeah. the then the value you're bringing is you can start playing uh, liaison and go between you know like so now you've got contacts all over the world that other Australian distillers will find very helpful um, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the value you 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 bring to Australian distilling I don't know but I, I guess what I'm getting at is is figure out exactly what it is you want to do because if you don't know what it is you want to do and who you want to do it for you'll do nothing for anyone yeah. <laughs> let, let me um we, yeah. I think we need to wrap up now because we're at over yeah. an hour and a half it's been a great chat yeah. so I'm going to give you I'm yeah. going to give you a I'm going to give you the final um, thing that we're doing, um, which is really exciting me, Jesse, and you'll love this. So um, Mark Rainier, who was the engine room behind the rebirth of Brook Laddie in early 2000, was totally focused on tawa and taking concepts from wine and applying it into whiskey. And Mark Rainier I've followed ever since. And when Brook Laddie was sold, he packed up his toys, went to Ireland, pardon me, and created Waterford Distillery, the most exciting distillery on the planet, in my opinion. Um, very focused on whiskey terroir. And it's all about the grain and flavor does actually carry through on distillation. So we have a podcast coming up where Mark Rania has agreed to come on to shooting the ship. That's and we're awesome. doing it in conjunction with the uh, craft maltster that I use in Australia, Voyager Craft Malt, Stu Wycross. And we're going to have a deep dive session on whiskey terroir and what it actually is all about. And so for me to be able to have Mark Rainier, Mark Rainier and have Stu, oh crap, Stu Wycross <laughs> <laughs> together and have a deep dive conversation about terroir is just mind-blowing. Mind blowing, mm. and prior to shooting the shit, never would have been able to do that. So it's been a platform. It's absolutely been a platform that's opened doors for sure. Yeah, that's exciting, man. That's very cool. Uh, and 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 that goes back to what I was saying, right? Like, um, you don't have a giant platform compared to what other people might think. But but forget that shit. Like, don't don't compare on metrics that don't matter to you. Like, dude, you're yeah. you're getting like how much would you pay? To be able to have a masterclass from this guy, yeah. oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, and now you're getting that for free. That's worth something, man. That's worth more yeah. than oh, a, yeah. a number that says a thousand or five hundred or four hundred thousand. One hundred eighty-seven thousand. You know what that number is? Uh, oh, me. <laughs> it took me a while. <laughs> you started with 187. I was like, wait, that's you guys, right? A thousand. Wait, what? You should definitely be proud of that. That's very, very cool. Thanks, mate. Jesse, Thank we're going to call it. That was awesome. Thank you very much, my friend. It was, uh, it was really good, really interesting. Lovely to hear what's going on across the ditch. And mm -hmm. uh, guys, thank you. It was a great night. And uh, we'll do it again um, next week, I think. We're, we're doing it. Then who we got on next week? next week? All right. Yeah. We? We'll you got figure on the that list? out. There. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> anyway, we normally do it. We're interviewing week. someone. Maybe. Someone. Yeah. We'll talk to someone. <laughs> we'll, we'll so out. I have just posted the links uh, to Stillet uh, YouTube channel uh, into the, uh, the chat comments uh, earlier on. 
I put in the did I put in the website? No, I didn't. I put it on your name, but I'm going to put in the website in the comments as well so people can find you and subscribe. And I like your little join button too. That's a that's a good one. Um, <laughs> He's going to nick it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to click it, but I'm going to nick it. Um, so definitely, I've just followed and subscribed, and I'm looking forward to getting stuck into all these videos. And you've inspired me to start uh, to get my still set up again. Actually, no, I'm not in New Zealand. No, no, no brew. Just brew. My brew. Yeah, brew. Yeah. My home brew. <laughs> Come down to the and show. We go, and we're going to learn editing over the week, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, editing. A lot. <laughs> Thanks again, Jesse. Maybe yeah. that's, I'm going to have to hit yeah. up some editing tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you All very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I, uh, we'll see you soon. Have a great evening. Thanks. Cheers.